Hello, and welcome to episode 237 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Brandy Z to The Modern Manager community. And a warm welcome to all my longtime listeners and those of you who are brand new. I know your time is precious, so I am deeply grateful that you've decided to spend it with me and for you to be investing in developing yourself as a people leader. If you want more support, I am here for you. To learn more about the resources available to help you make 2023 a year of growth, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. Today's guest is Akaya Windwood. Akaya advises, trains, and consults on how change happens individually, organizationally, and societally. She's on the faculty of the RSF Social Finance Integrated Capital Fellowship and is the founder of The New Universal, which centers human wisdom in the wisdom of brown women. She was the president of Rockwood Leadership Institute for many years and directed the Mycelium Fund. Akaya and I talk about the bits of wisdom she and her co-author collected over the years on what it means to foster joy in the workplace and how you can do that too. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me, Akaya. I'm super excited to chat with you today because we're going to talk about joy, which is just feels, I mean, we're recording this in November and the time of joy and the season and all of that, but also a topic I've never really talked about or thought about uh, as related to the workplace. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. So let's just start at the beginning, which is why joy? Why joy in general and why joy specifically as a leader and in our workplaces? On some level, I would say, why not joy? You know, it's something that is built in every human heart. I think it's something, it's a birthright. And unfortunately, because of oppression and hardship, often joy gets taken out of us. And that's really a problem because imagine joy-filled workplaces. And I want to make a distinction between joy and happiness. Mm. Happiness is is often a result of our reaction to something external to us. So I read a story and it makes me happy, or somebody gives me a, a compliment and I, you know, I feel happy about it. Joy comes from a different place. It's I think it's body centered. It's where I might see a beautiful full moon, and it will bring me to joy because it's I'm realizing I'm con- in connection with that full moon. The other, uh, it sits kind of side by side. Joy sits by uh, side by side with grief, which is another body-centered thing. And grief, I believe, is different from sadness, right? So sadness, I can, again, read a, a, a hard story and feel sad. When I feel grief, I'm, you know, my body is, I can feel it in my body. And the tears come even though I might not want them to. Joy is like that, where I'm just moved sometimes to my knees because I'm taken by this feeling of joy. And I really do believe that each of us is born with the capacity for it. And sometimes we lose it. Mm-hmm. I love this distinction between happy and sad as emotions and joy and grief as kind of almost like bodily states of being. 
And I'm wondering, especially given your last comment about how, you know, we all have this capacity, but maybe we've forgotten how to tap into it or how to how to kind of live it that way. What is it that we can do to be more connected to our bodies and to kind of allow that those, I guess, bigger than feelings, those kind of states of being to start to creep in? Because I'm guessing that there are some people who are listening who are like, yes, yes, I feel that. And then there are people who maybe a little more like me who are like, "Mm, I'm not so like a body in tuned person. (laughs) So if I wanted to make some space, how can I start to do that? Well, it takes practice. You know, one of the things that surprised me, a friend of mine recently said, well, having written the book, what, what was the most surprising thing? What was surprising to me is it's not easy, right, to, to reach for joy. It's a practice. And I have to remind myself, oh, wait a minute, it's a choice. It's a choice. I can, in this moment, attend to whatever the prevailing story might be, the tragedy, the whatever. And I can also choose to notice uh, that there's things to be joyful about. I give this, I talk about this a lot. I have this orange tree that grows right outside my window. And there's an orange that has been growing since a, a little bitty green orange over the last months. And I've been watching it. And it's, oh, maybe I'm guessing it's two weeks from being ready to be picked. and I, it's literally out my line of sight. So in my line of sight, actually. And I've been watching it with such joy all summer. And now we're into, you know, fall and winter. And it just reminds me, oh, that's what's true. That the, here's this beautiful tree offering this amazing fruit, unasked for by anybody. And I can look at it and just experience just a moment of complete joy. And then reset myself and come back to work, as it were. So it takes practice. It takes intention. Hmm. It's so beautiful. I feel like we don't look at the world that way often enough, to your point, that it's a practice and it's intentional and it's a choice. And we, you know, I think at least when we're in our busy office lives, we move so quickly sometimes that we forget to just pause and be present. That's exactly right. And that's, isn't that the gift of it? It's so simple. It's so available. And, you know, the tragedy is, it's so rare, Mm -hmm. but it's not impossible. And that's where I think, you know, when we talk about leadership or people who are managing, it's our job as leaders and as managers to create the conditions whereby joy is possible. Ooh, say more about that. Well, you know, at one point I thought, well, maybe it's our job as leaders to create joy in the the workplace. And I thought, oh, if I feel like it's my job to make somebody else joyful, I'm not going to go to work at all. (laughs) Right? I'm going to say, no, that I I can't be responsible for everybody's happiness or joy, whatever. However, I can, and I think it's part of our responsibility as leaders, think about, well, what are the conditions by which joy can happen? And then go about creating that as opposed to my bringing the joy to work. It's like, how do we collectively create a workplace that could be joyful, that that people can come into and choose to be joyful? I think that's a big leadership responsibility. Yeah, well, first, I just want to acknowledge that that framing in general, that it's not our job to make anything 
for our people. What's like our job is actually to create the conditions for our people to be successful, the conditions for our people to find joy, the conditions for our people to bring their best selves. Like we can't make them do any of those things. We can only foster the right conditions. And that just little shift of mindset, I think is really powerful. So I don't want to run past that. And then I'm curious if you have identified like, you know, the set of conditions, like, is there a list of things that we should be focused on kind of cultivating or is it kind of more nuanced or or, uh, ambiguous than that? (laughs) I love the idea that that here's our joy checklist. I don't think it works that way. (laughs) Maybe I think that it's a, I would think it's a series of conversations among people. So if I were to take that on, if I were a manager and I said, okay, I want to create the conditions for joy here. I would want to know from the people who are around me and who depend on me, well, what, what does joy mean to them? What would they be looking for? What would we be looking for? And then start to look for commonalities. Because for some folks, you know, joy is in having a common meal. So we would say, okay, well, once a week, we're going to all eat, eat lunch together and I'll pay for it if, I, if, if our organization can pay, they can afford that, right? Or it could be somebody could say, well, it would be nice to have moments of pause now and again. And we could say, great. So at the end of every day, we'll all take a moment, take a breath together and remember, oh, we belong here. So there's no prescription here. I think it really is a series of conversations that the leader or manager can invite up from the people that they're responsible to and for. That's so nice, right, to say that we don't all need the same thing. And the best way to figure out what we collectively need is to just ask people, well, what is it? And to include yourself in that, too, in that reflection of what do I need to feel joy here? That is, that's exactly right. One of my central organizing questions always is what's best for all concerned? And that includes me, but it is not centered on me. And so when I think about good leadership, we're always asking, I think it's it's helpful to ask, well, what's best for all concerned here? And that includes the people who are actually, who are doing the work, the people who would be the recipients of the work, the people who might buy the products. When I walk into a workplace, I can sense, does this feel good here? Independent of what, whether it's a gas station or a uh, big box store or a small nonprofit, I can walk into a, a place and go, this doesn't feel good here. And our job, I think, as leaders is to create spaces where it does feel good. It does feel like people might be joyful here. I'm wondering if there are any stories you have of of either walking into a place or you know being surrounded through your work in an environment that really did feel like joy could flourish there i'll give two examples the local my very local trader joe's here in oakland i love going there why not because i love trader joe's stuff although you know i do it is so fun the staff there is literally joyful it's fun to be around i think half of People shop there because it's a great place to to feel good, right? I don't know who the manager is there, but as I'm telling the story, I think I want to go ask who's the manager here because this is a it's a remarkably fun place to to shop. 
So I'm, I would wonder what are the managers doing that makes that possible because it's palpable as mm-hmm. a shopper. My second example was I ran Rockwood Leadership Institute for many years. And we decided on Friday, well, no, on Thursday afternoons, because we had a four-day work week, 32 hours was full-time. And I, I say that deliberately because that was part of what made our workplace joyful. People weren't burned out. We had plenty of rest. And somebody, I do not know who, said, let's dance for 10 minutes at the end of Thursday afternoon. And that became a a bit of a tradition. And so somebody would put on some wild dance music. We would dance for 10 10 minutes, laugh like crazy, and end the week. Hmm. And it was so much fun. It cost us nothing. It was uh, joyful. And, you know, if you didn't feel like dancing, you didn't have to. But we would just dance through the office. How, How silly was that? And how joyful it was too, right? So there are small rituals that can make a big difference. I love this dance party idea. I want to to introduce that into my workplace. (laughs) Right? It's so fun. It's so fun. And you can have, we we had the DJ, as it were, rotate. So, you know, we sometimes hip hop, sometimes discos. I mean, it was wild. Great fun. Wow. I love that. So I want to shift a little bit because I was reading your book and there were first, if this book is organized different than I think almost any other leadership book I've ever read in that it has all these small vignettes and then reflection questions. So, which was just such a, a fun read and and I just really enjoyed getting to see these little glimpses. But one of them, well, a couple of them really stood out, but one of them in particular was a story about the nectarine pit and the tree that grew in your yard. And I'm wondering if you can share that story with us. That actually is Roger Vinny's story, my partner in, in crime, as it were, my co-author. And it's the story of her father, who was toward the end of his life and uh, living with her. And he would eat a nectarine every once in a while and throw the pit out into the yard. And a nectarine tree grew. And it took him a while to figure out what is this tree? Because it just kind of showed up. And that tree grew. And it now actually, it's I think it's like three or four years old now. And it gets, you know, it fruits. And it that nectarine tree gives them so much joy because it's the remembering now that oh, this is this is father, this is dad. He would sit here and we this it was such a surprise and such a gift that every time they the family has a nectar eats a nectarine it's a reminder of the the gift of just a simple toss out into the universe gives them a connection to their their father so that's a that's a sweet story yeah I and mean, it's so nice to get to hear more of the context than what was in the in the book and it, the reflection questions, which I thought were so poignant, were about what are the seeds that you're sowing intentionally or unintentionally? And what are the things that we are doing now that we are, you know, intentionally thinking about how am I laying the groundwork for something in the future? How am I creating the conditions? Or unintentionally doing where we don't even know if there are going to be positive or negative 
outcomes. We're just, you know, moving through the world. And, you know, it, it got me thinking about the story of like the, the orange tree and the same thing of like pausing and noticing and being intentional. It, it feels very similar to me that when we're kind of moving through the world so quickly and moving through work so quickly, we don't take time to have a dance party. <laughs> we don't take time to notice the orange growing outside of our window. And we don't take time to think about where am I throwing those nectarine pits and is what's going to grow? Like in this story, grew into this beautiful, wonderful tree that created pots of memory. But I could imagine in someone else's yard, that same tree would have been a total burden and they would be really annoyed. They have to now pay to have someone come and cut this tree down and it's ruining the backyard, <laughs> right? Like we don't, yeah. we don't know. No, you're right. You're right. You're totally right. We're, you know, as leaders, we're planting seeds all the time. Even when we don't know we're, we're doing it because people are watching us. They're, when people think, oh, I'm just going to quietly do my leadership thing over here. That just isn't so. We are teaching the people who depend on us kind of how to be, especially when there are younger folks in, or newer folks into, in the organization. They're watching. Well, how do we be here? How do I show up? What's expected of me? And so what may seem very, oh, well, this is just how I do every day, is we're actually planting seeds um, because people are watching and going, oh, okay, that is how I'm supposed to be. And so I think that's where we be, it's really important as leaders, we be aware of what the impact of what we're saying, what we're doing is having all the time, Right. Because we don't want unintentional trees in the backyard that feel like burdens, right? For for Rajasvini and her family, that tree became a gift. But you're right. There are other people for whom that tree would be a burden. And as leaders, we don't want to plant plant seeds that will be burdensome to the folks who will have to deal with them later. I'm wondering about another story that was connecting kind of how we have responsibility for, you know, ourselves. We are all in this together. We can't do everything. And, you know, we have to kind of do what we can do. And then we are somehow connected to everyone else who's also doing what they can do. And I think in this story, it was specifically around some justice work and thinking about women in Cairo doing their justice work. And we don't even know them, but we're kind of all doing our piece of the puzzle here. And I was thinking about this in the context of an organization and managers who feel like we have to do so much and that we can also do our part and let other people do their part. And that can be hard for managers sometimes to, to let go. Do you know what I'm talking about? Your story I'm talking Absolutely. about? Yeah, that was actually a piece I wrote. You know, one of my mantras, as it were, is I actually have it written right here by my desk says, let me only do what is mine to do. Mm-hmm. And that can be really challenging for folks who want to control everything. But if I start doing what is yours to do, then I'm going to be off purpose. I'll be off my own purpose. It also interrupts your capacity to bring what you're going to bring. So let me do what's mine to do. Let me create the conditions by by which you can bring what you're here to do. And together, then, we can make, uh, do things far more than any either of us could do alone. But it means I have to trust that you're doing what's yours to do, right? So 
There is some unnamed woman in Cairo. No, there's a woman in Cairo who I don't know, haven't met, I can just imagine, that she's doing her piece in transforming the world or making life better for the people around her. I trust that she's doing that. And so I then can allow for her to be tending to her business so that I can then attend to mine without me trying to micromanage or manage someone who I'm not who I don't even know, right? So to bring it back into a workplace context, what if we gave people the tools and the support and the conditions that allowed them to say, oh, I, here's what I'm going to bring. Here's what I'm going to do. Here, this is my contribution. And then trusted them to do that. And te- we checked in with them. Are, do you, how are you doing? La, la, la. But not in the sense of micromanaging or even evaluating. We can, we can go all kinds of places with this. But what if we stopped critiquing and created more of uh, more support for folks who, who aren't doing well. So they actually can do well. This, it's so, it, it's like such a small shift, but it's so important to give people that opportunity to say, this is my part and I'm going to do my part. And then we can support them when they're struggling with it or when the way or the results that they're delivering aren't what's needed for the whole to be successful. But that feels like a much more manageable conversation then starting from a place of I need to make sure everything's happening the way it needs to happen and I need to kind of be overseeing and on top of everybody and oh it's not going well so I need to take over it which is <laughs> so unhealthy for everyone involved but something that we tend well, to do as managers well uh, yes you're right we tend to do that and let's be honest that's generally the manager managing their own anxiety which is really different than supporting the contribution of the staff, right? If I'm walking in every day trying to manage everybody and look at every single thing, and let me be clear, this is not about not being discerning because we do want to be discerning, but that's really different from controlling and over-managing people as a way of supposedly managing our own anxiety. That's not fair. It's not fair to the people around us. It's not fair to the people who depend on our work. If I'm always anxious as a manager, I need to attend to that in other ways than that, than taking it out on the people around me. Mm. I'm wondering if you have any tips or strategies for folks who are like, yes, I, I buy into this idea. This makes a lot of sense. And I would like to be that way. But it's not in my nature, or it's at least not where I'm at currently to be able to pull back or to make space like that. Do you have any thoughts or tips or strategies for how people can start to trust their people and to give their people that opportunity to say, this is my part, and for a manager to say, and this part is over here is mine? First, pause and take a breath. Just that alone, just stopping, going, wait, let me take a breath. Let me remember that the rivers still run, the sun still comes up in the morning, and the moon is going to follow. That's all true, and I'm a part of that. So remembering our place in the um, family of things is important. And then I would encourage a manager to say, well, what do I trust about, let's say I'm having this a difficulty with a staff member. 
let's start with what do I trust and appreciate about this person? Where are the strengths? What is it that they might need from me in order to grow? And what would, what, how might they need to grow? How might I be of support to that? But start from a place of what we call appreciative inquiry. What's this person's gifts before I start talking about or thinking about what their challenges might be? And then, you know, name, acknowledge the, the gifts. Start with appreciation. I have yet to hear someone say to me, you know, I get too much appreciation at work these days. Huh. I've never heard that. But I have heard people say, you know, I, boy, they just criticize me all the time. Imagine a workplace where people come home going, you know, I just got overappreciated today. And it was genuine. It wasn't just make nice. It was appreciations are three things. They are brief, they are true, and they're from the heart. So imagine if the people who are around you leave your presence feeling affirmed, seen, and appreciated. Mm. That's going to go a long way in helping folks then grow in the ways they want to grow or need to grow or you need them to. Oh, my gosh. Amen to having a workplace where people feel overly appreciated, where it's, as you said, it is true gratitude. That's uh, I think we can all aspire to create for our teams. And it's not hard, many, and it doesn't take long. This is not like you have to put it on your your strategic plan. <laughs> it, it's it's part. It become it can become part of the culture. This is what we do here. This is how it feels. I love this. All right. Well, unfortunately, we're at the end of our time. So, Akaya, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? Oh, that's a great question. Let's see. I was 25. That means it was 41 years ago. And his name was Wes. And he was a, I worked in a a Safeway butcher shop and he was the head butcher. This is my first real job. And I was the meat wrapper. And he was this big, tall, white guy. And, you know, he must have been in his 40s or 50s. And here I was, this young black girl. And he made me feel like I was the best thing ever. And he, not just me, all the people that were around him. Now we're, he's cutting big slabs of meat. I'm wrapping the, you know, the meat as fast as I can. And then there's all the other things going on in a butcher shop. I still remember his laughter. I felt completely safe around him. I felt like he cared about every single one of us. And this was back in the days where there was almost no diversity in the workplace. And so here's this big white guy from the South leading a very diverse group of people. And it was so much fun. And I am grateful to him to this day for creating, and I'm sure he would never have said this, creating the conditions for joy. Oh, sounds amazing. And lastly, where can people learn more about you, keep up with your work, and get a copy of your book? Probably our website's the easiest way. It's leadingwithjoybook.com. And you can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, I won't talk about the Twitter, but there we're on Twitter. So we're on social media. You can find us. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Really a pleasure to learn with you today and learn from you. Thank you. Appreciate the conversation.
Akaya is offering a free copy of her book, Leading with Joy, to one member of the Modern Manager community who is at the patron level. To become a member and get access to dozens of other special offers, full episode sketch notes, and extended interviews, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, along with a mini sketch note for each episode that has my key takeaways in a fun graphic format. Get on the newsletter list at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.